You're listening to season four of the Business of Teaching Yoga podcast, hosted by me, Cora Giroux. I've been practicing yoga since I was a teenager, been teaching since 2009, and training, coaching, and mentoring yoga teachers since 2014. I believe that life and business are supposed to be fun, and that your business is unique just like you, and that if you get the inside right, whether that comes to your practice, your business, or the rest of life, the outside will fall into place. If you'd like to work together, I offer one-on-one coaching and consulting for yoga teachers, as well as my group business program, Lost to Launch, several times a year. You can find all the deets on my website, www.coragiru.com. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Teaching Yoga podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Kajabi, my favorite all-in-one online platform to run your business. It's the platform that I personally use. I switched at the end of 2020. Uh, Previously, I had Squarespace and Memberspace and ConvertKit and Vimeo and a whole stack (laughs) of different softwares. Um, But when I switched over to Kajabi, I was actually able to pay less a month for my online business software and have a better experience because everything was integrated into one spot. One of my favorite things about Kajabi is that they are always improving and upgrading their service. And a few months after I switched my business over to Kajabi, they released their app. And this is cool because when a student or a client signs up for a product or service with me or you, if you use Kajabi, they can go onto the app store and download the Kajabi app. Once they have the app on their phone, they can log in to your website, you know, via the login details that they made when they purchased their product, and they can access all of your content on their phone in a way that is mobile responsive and really user friendly because it's straight in the app. So people can do your classes right on their phone. Um, With me, they can watch my videos and grab the worksheets right on their phone. It's super um, user-friendly for your students and your clients. And actually, it's such a silly thing and it's small, but one of the favorite things that I love about this is if you post in your community form, like we have a community form for Lost to Launch and sometimes I'll post in there questions or um, if a new module is released, you could do this if you had a new class coming up. If you are the admin and you are making a post in the community form, There's a little box that you can tick that allows you to send a push notification to all of your clients and students who have the app on their phone. So they will actually get like a little alert on their phone if they have the app installed that you have made a new post. And that post could be about, you know, there's a new module release, there's a new class, um, check out these questions, or this is that resource that I mentioned. And they can get that um, alert right on their phone, which can really help to drive in engagement. So people are busy, they lead busy lives. And having that notification pop up is something that I was super excited about when I learned that Kajabi released their app. 
So if you are interested in Kajabi, you can get a 30-day free trial. Just click the link in the description of this episode or go to my website, korajirud.com slash Kajabi, and you can learn a little bit more about why I love Kajabi for yoga teachers. And that is (laughs) K-A-J-A-B-I. Okay, so today's episode is all about ritual. And I am always doing rituals. I have a candle on right now. I've set my space up in a particular way so that I could sit down and be centered and really enjoy this experience of recording this intro for you. I do rituals before my morning practice, before I see clients, before I teach a class, before I record an interview, and bigger events get bigger rituals. When I was leading teacher training regularly, there was a lot of ritual (laughs) going on before we met in person. And even when each new student signs up for a teacher training or a course with me, they get a little ritual as well. And to be honest, I've never really given it much thought other than it's something I like to do. So I do it. It's something that I enjoy. It makes the experience of whatever it is I'm doing a little bit more fun for me, a little bit more pleasant for me. So I do it. Um, however, my guest Mara Branscombe today, when she reached out to me to talk about her new book, Ritual as Remedy, I was intrigued because even though it was something that I do on a very regular basis, I hadn't actually paid a lot of uh, attention or spent a lot of time thinking about why and how a ritual um might benefit us in different ways that we could incorporate ritual into our life to really um, create more meaning and substance to to what it is that we're doing. So if you are someone who teaches yoga, you might have rituals around your classes, how you prepare for your class, what you do before class. I definitely do. Um, <laughs> I won't get into it here, but I do talk a little bit about, um, you know, people commenting even on the rituals that I do before class. If you haven't heard of Mara Branscombe before, she is a mother, a writer, a yogi, an artist, a teacher, a mindfulness leader, a ceremonialist, and a spiritual coach. She is the author of her new book, Ritual as Remedy, Embodied Practices for Soul Care. Mara is passionate about weaving the art of mindfulness, self-care, creativity, mind and mind-body practices with earth-based rituals into her life and work. And she's been leading community ceremonies since 2000. As an adventurous spirit, Mara has sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, which she does talk about in this episode, trekked across the Himalayas, studied yoga in India, planted trees in Canada's north, Canada, my heart, lived off the grid in a remote cabin in the woods, worked as a Waldorf Steiner School teacher, and then found her passion for dance and choreography. All the while, yoga, meditation, mysticism, and ritual have been at the heart of Mara's journey. Her trainings in the Incan shaman lineage and the pagan tradition have greatly inspired her life's work of earth-based, ceremonial, intentional, and heart-centered living and loving. Mara currently lives in Vancouver, Canada with her husband and two daughters. And Mara and I actually used to teach at one of the same yoga studios in Vancouver. Um, We tried to suss it out. We may have just been like ships in the night while she was having her first child and I moved to Australia. We may not have actually been there at the exact same moment, but it is a nice little connection point that Mara and I have together. So, On this podcast, 
Mara and I speak about her morning ritual and what a typical work day looks like. What actually makes something a ritual? Soul care versus self-care. The benefit of ritual, you know, kind of what's the point? (laughs) Why are we doing these things? Why letting go of the outcome is an essential part of the process in living a creative life. And this is something that I have been exploring, as you'll hear in the episode. Um, I'm really trying to not do anything just because I want a particular outcome, but because the process itself is inherently rewarding. It's an interesting thing to um, play with in all aspects of my life, but something that I have found has um, added a lot of joy into my day to day. So it's something that we talk quite a bit about in today's episode, especially like we don't talk about this particularly, but Business is so outcome driven, isn't it? It's like, how do you be in a business without focusing on outcomes? Well, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm doing it. I'll give you an update, let you know how it's going. Um, Already, it's a lot more fun. Why Mara needed to commit to self-publishing her book before she found a publisher. How to trust your own intuition. And a few stories about owls and firewood. (laughs) why creating one small thing every day for a month can be a magical experience. And Mara's best advice for folks who are stepping out on their own as entrepreneurs for the first time. I think you will enjoy this episode with Mara Bronscombe. I think you should probably get the book. (laughs) If you teach yoga, Mara is going to be very generous and send me a physical copy. I have an ebook copy, which is great as well. but um, we're going to see if we can get the book into, I mean, Mara's already working on this, but into some maybe studios around um, Sydney and in Australia. So if you are listening and you own a studio in Australia or New Zealand, or I, I suppose anywhere really, but specifically Australia and New Zealand, I know a lot of you guys are listening in from there. If you own a studio and you would like to stock Mara's book send her an email, get in touch. Um, I think that this is a really, really great book for yoga teachers to have to um, help create sacred space as you set up for your classes and your workshops and your retreats. And I think it could be a great addition to anyone's um, little studio retail section if you have if you have that. Um, okay, cool. I hope you enjoy this episode with Mara and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Mara, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Cora. Um, We were just chatting a little bit before we hit record that we may have um, crossed paths, ships in the night at a couple of yoga studios, uh, potentially in Vancouver several years ago. So I know you um, primarily as a yoga teacher, but you have done much more than that in your life and your career. But I would love to know a little bit about the nitty gritty of like, what does your day actually look like when it's a work day, when you are going to, you know, either sit down to write or work with clients or, or you know, the different types of activities that you have in your day. And, and since we are celebrating the launch of your book, massive congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> perhaps even if there is a, is a, um, a way to naturally share any ritual, is your book Ritual as Remedy, um, that naturally emerges throughout your day or perhaps is very intentional. Um, I would love to know, how do you spend a work day? What does it actually look like? Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for asking. <laughs> what a question. So, um, you know, I'm really devoted and dedicated to a morning ritual. And since um, I'm also a mother and it has, uh, and, and because they're older now, my daughters are eight and 11. So I have a little bit more um, time in the morning. And what I do is I make sure I wake early enough so that I have that time. Mm. And I um, work with natural light. So whatever season it is, I don't turn on the lights and I light a candle and I sit in quiet contemplation um, going through a bit of breath work and moving into a gratitude practice, calling forward what I'm grateful for. And then I move uh, further into, you know, kind of mapping internally my day. So knowing what the day is, is going to hold in, in terms of the events of the day and Ensouling each each aspect of that day just with a little bit of light and, and some positivity and maybe some, you know, the curiosity of this very question, what am I opening to today? Or what am I evolving into today? And all of that right there, what I just explained, could take as little as five minutes or it could be, you know, a 30-minute, um, depending on what time you have. And I do this all before I... I open a screen. So this has been something that's been um, very ritualistic and also through the, the writing um, practice in the very early mornings um, to actually write the book. Um, that That's always how it started. Mm, mm. So I know that you define this in the book and it, it was silly of me not to pop it in the questions, but for those listening, I think it could be useful if you actually share the definition of a ritual. What? How do you define that? Mm -hmm. To me, a ritual is anything that is done with intention, anything that brings us into the present moment and holds an energy of consciousness and um, present moment awareness. So this could be, um, and I love to share this with everyone because it, be, it can be so simple and it can be that your morning coffee you know, the first um, little bit or your morning tea is, is in silence and it is in listening, that inner listening. And I feel that's what ritual does is it brings us into a state because we're present to the moment of internal listening and then external awareness of what is actually going on. Those two things I feel is the pathway to our intuitive intelligence. Hmm. I'm just writing notes. <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, so let's imagine that, you know, it's a it's an average day. Maybe you've done that for 10 minutes or so. And you are like, okay, I'm bringing this morning ritual to a close. Um, you know, you're about to get up and move into the next activity that you have. What what are some of the next things that you are actually doing? Is it like you're on mom duty and then that happens for a while? And then what else? Let me fill me in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, depending on if it's during school week, I am on mom duty, but I often do, you know, when I'm in sitting in the writer's seat, when I'm, I'm really working on, you know, a manuscript or an article, um, I often wake very early, like 4.30 a.m. so wow. that I can, because that's my, that's, that's my golden time. My golden time for creativity, for writing, um, seems to be first thing in the morning. Um, and then what happens is, yes, mom duty, welcome. And that's the one thing that I really discovered by 
through this writing process is if I can greet my children with presence and love upon waking and mm. give that to them upon them going to sleep, then no matter what, um, I can, I, I'm beginning and ending, you know, the day almost in ritual, just like I would want to treat myself. So after, you know, the kids, I drop them off at school. And then um, sometimes I have clients I do, you know, I teach privates and I work, you know, I do healing work with, with clients. Um, so sometimes, you know, those happen first. And then I always make sure I get my own physical practice in. So my physical practice could be that it's on my mat um, doing yoga. It could be, um, I call them spirit runs. And so <laughs> I like to run um, in the, in you know, in the forest or um, in places that are of natural setting and really just um, get my heart going and move the energy and um, receive nature in that way. And so those that, you know, as it, and then it, I may move into um, uh, more writing uh, after that, after I get that heart rate up, because that, that is a great space to then go back into the work for me. Um, so it's, it's, and as you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, it's, it's, it's varied and there's, one thing that is an anchor for me always is what what have I touched down um, in terms of soul care personally, even though it's a really busy day? What is one thing I've done? Have I had enough water? Have I have I had a moment in nature without um, distraction of a screen? Um, have I sat for five minutes in in quiet contemplation? And so these tiny little, I call them micro rituals throughout our day, I feel they're so empowering to us and they are so um, restorative and bring, brings us great clarity, in fact. Mm, mm. Yeah. So I love this. I love the idea of soul care. I think that's such a cool um cool concept. I don't know if you've, if like that was your term, but if it's not, I think you should totally claim it. It's so, <laughs> it's very cool. Um, so I feel like for some reason, and I'm not exactly sure, this is not a process that I have brought a lot of consciousness to. Um, so I'm kind of explaining it and figuring it out live in this moment, but I have always, um, done things that look like rituals at least. and like right now, I've got my candles lit. I've set up my room in the way that I want it to be set up for this conversation. I've got my tea and I'm, I sat here for a few minutes before you and I connected. And I do that with many, it obviously the details vary, but with many parts of my day. And I didn't really think much of it. And it was just what I was doing. And it's just you know, da, da, da. And then for a while, I had a few business partners that were much more involved in my space than I was used to. I was used to just doing my own thing. And one of them really commented on the fact that I was doing this all the time. And she, she didn't love it. <laughs> but I was like, I love it. I enjoy it. And I had no reason when she would question me about it. I had no reason that I was doing it other than I liked it. Like I enjoy it. Like, I, I don't know. It just makes, it makes this experience of podcasting right now, for example, feel more pleasant to me, more enjoyable. It's something I look forward to. It's just like setting myself up. It's like, you know, you check that you have all your belongings before you leave the house. So you don't forget anything. It's just like one of those things that I have always done, but she would, as I mentioned, question me about it. I was like, I don't know. I'm just enjoying it. I know that if I don't do it, 
I don't like it as much. So I'm doing it because I like it. So I didn't have a satisfying answer to her. And she was just like saying, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was like, um, something about like it being antiquated and like a religious thing. And I was like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I, was, I couldn't, I was like, I don't know, dude, I'm not trying to like do anything in particular. I just enjoy it. So I would love to ask you like, why, why ritual? Why do I like this? I mean, you can't tell me why I like it, but like, how does it benefit us? What is the point of, of doing these things? How does it, create a beneficial um, outcome or experience for the people who are actually doing it? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not surprised that you love to do this. <laughs> not at all. Not one bit. Um, and keep it's going. So, it feels so it, good. It feels so good. First of all, it's so satisfying. And this is actually to, to bring us back to that term of soul care. That's to me, this is soul care. And self-care is a little bit different. Self-care is when we receive from someone else, perhaps a massage, oh, a pedicure, a manicure. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when we start to practice soul care in the way that you're doing, what's happening is you're meeting your energy field. You're meeting your own desire for perhaps the sacred, um, beyond the mundane, the, the special, the extraordinary, the, um, the, the welcoming in of positive energy, a positive frequency. That's what you're doing. You're creating beauty in the space that you're sitting in. And of course, that makes our mind, um, more clear. And of course, it makes us feel more grounded. And so this, and, and we are also unique and our, we all come into this world with different purpose. And for some of us who, um, feel that we become nourished through um, these rituals and also through beautifying our space, our spaces, it, it, what happens is it becomes so generative over time. And then it's easier to stay connected to our internal space, I believe, because we're not abandoning and we're not moving recklessly in a way. I mean, we all know there's two ways to do something. And when we get busy, it's hard to be mindful. And yet, if we set a rhythm of being mindful um, wherever we can in our day, and like you said, we you set yourself up and it feels so good because we're grounded and we're connected. And I, yeah, I think that's why ritual can really um, deepen our sense of purpose. It can deepen our sense of connection to self and our sense of belonging in the world in a way. Mm. That's so beautiful. I'll um, listen back to this <laughs> and then be like, okay, this is why I do it. You know, yeah. uh, I just know that like even teaching a yoga class, for example, I would always get there really, really, really early because I just wanted to have time in the space. And, and I was not a fan of teaching when the class before me ended 15 minutes before. <laughs> I was like, I haven't had time to like get my shit together in the room. And so now I will reflect back on just thinking about like how that actually brings me deeper into presence and, and creates more meaning. But thank you. Thank you so much for that. It's um, as soon as I was no longer in relationship with that person, I kind of forgot about it and just went back to what I, <laughs> what I always do. And it was nice. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it's the funny thing is, is it's um. In, in the instance of a yoga class or even, you know, in this podcast, it's not for other people. 
it's not for the students, unfortunately. Sorry, students. It's not for um, the people listening to this podcast. Sorry, listeners. Um, it's just for me, right? It's just something something that I like to do. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. Well, and let us not, you know, underestimate the power of the ripple effect. So right. the fact that you're doing this <laughs> without, and I love that you just brought this up, Cora, because what you just alluded to basically is you're doing this in in pure interest yeah, and in pure curiosity. And, and because you are in this state and you're in a way letting go of the outcome, which I know we talk, I talk a lot about in the book, then it's a clear state. It's a clear delivery. In fact, because you're not gripping or longing or, you know, it's not, that's not your seed intention is to, you know, it to be something other than this pure state within you. And that's consciousness. And that is what I believe has the power to heal. And the ripple effect is that we can embody that ourselves and that we can share that with the world. Mm. Okay. So this is something that I would really, really like to speak with you about <laughs> letting go of the outcome or releasing the outcome. I have the ebook version of your book. Thank you very much for sending that to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing about having the ebook version is you can use the little find tool. <laughs> so if you're like reading it, you can click. I, I, I remember reading it and I, I can't remember the exact phrase. It might be release the outcome was one of the phrases that you used. And I was like, oh, okay. That's something I'm thinking about and working on. She mentioned that. And then I saw it again. And then I was like, I'm going <laughs> to click this find tool and see how many times this shows up <laughs> in the book. And I don't remember the number, but it was a ginormous number. It, you oh mentioned it a thousand times, not really, but like metaphorically a thousand <laughs> times in the book. It's over and over and over and over and over and over in every section. It's everywhere. It's throughout the whole book. Um, and it's something that uh, I went through a, a like a very personal and dramatic dark night of the soul earlier this year, and I won't get into it. But the um, result of that has been me personally rewriting every element of my entire life, which is wasn't fun in the beginning. And now it's a lot more fun. But one of the things I've been working on is trying my very best to not do anything. And it's very hard when it's across your entire life, but to not do anything just because I want a particular outcome. And it has been incredibly liberating and it takes a lot of consciousness and a lot of awareness. Like, why am I eating this food? Do I like this food or am I eating it because I think I should eat it or it's going to create a particular outcome? You know, literally everything that I'm doing, I'm questioning it. Because I think, I'm not sure what other people are like, but I think for me personally, the vast majority of my behavior was consciously or unconsciously to get a particular outcome. And so this is what I'm going through personally. And I just wonder, because you have mentioned it so much in the book, Number one, why is that important? (laughs) Because again, it's not something that I can necessarily explain to people right now. It's just something I know I need to do. Um, And then also any advice on how to do it, because at least for me, it was so woven into everything that I 
do that it's almost like the fish in the water thing. Like I didn't even know I was in, I didn't even know I was doing half of this stuff just to get a particular outcome. So why is it important and how do we let that shit go? Mm -hmm. Why is it important? You know, and I was just writing some notes too, because I feel this in depending on how you're raised. Um, a lot of us were raised in a culture where, or, you know, a family setting that, um, we were, we were trained in a way to, um, not follow our own intuition or to abandon ourselves because we needed to people please and we needed to take care of people in our family or um you know so so a lot of it i feel does come back to our childhood and you know i think you're bang on when you talk about like you're questioning everything i mean i think that's amazing you know also being really kind and generous to yourself yep. and being forgiving <laughs> and loving of mm-hmm. course mm-hmm. and that's our soul care piece and it takes that's emotional labor this is what i want to bring forward to this emotional labor piece um a little bit today and how we do soul care and so so it's important to <sighs> Because we're doing in, a, in the ritual work in our daily life, some of us, you know, living more of an alternative lifestyle or we're entrepreneurs, there's a lot of striving that can come into that. You know, if you're a teacher, or you're a leader, you're a guide, you're also probably a people pleaser in some capacity. And so all of that is, is the work around, um, you know, letting go of, of that final outcome is so important so that you can listen to, you know, the next step across, you know, the riverbed is so that you can actually, you know, go pause. Actually, that's not what I want because I thought I wanted that, but now I'm here and I realize I don't want that. So how am I going to reroute? And if you start practicing releasing the outcome, I think that we are more likely able to pause and come into a clarity in the moment and say to ourselves, well, that's not true for me anymore. And actually I am, I'm going to, I'm going to change um, roots here. Um, so, so it's a little bit like having a compass on your, you know, I call it being centric, like cool. being centric is embodied right at the center. So it, everyone can visualize a compass being right at the navel, right at the na- the center of the body. And so that as you go through your life, if you're holding this energy of, um, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm listening to my intuition. I'm being called in this direction and I'm going to let go of that final outcome because sometimes the universe has just a little bit of a turn for me and that's what I'm meant to do and that's what I'm meant to be and where I'm meant to go. And so when I wrote this book, I it came really fast in an intuitive flash and you know that doesn't always happen but it came very clearly um write the book. The book is for the collective. You got to let go of the outcome because I couldn't get tripped up on my own ego because then I wouldn't write the book. So that's why, that's why that message of like let go of the outcome came through so strong. Another reason why it came through so strong is because I do a lot of ritual work with people, men and women and um, clients over the years. And we do a lot of work on manifestation. And when people get attached to that final outcome of the manifested state, for example, you know, I want to find the love of my life. I, I want to have a family. I finally want to get the career I want. I want, I, you know, I want financial stability, all of that. When we start to attach to that, you know, that golden goal, um, we, we might get muddled along the way. 
Now, what I'm saying is not that you're not still connected to that final golden energy, you know, of meeting the love of your life. But when we let go of like what that looks like, and instead we follow the true impulse within us, we're probably more likely to get to a place that is satisfying as opposed to a place that is conditioned. Mm. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I can see what you mean when you're like, right, even writing the book, if you jump to the outcome, like maybe you wouldn't even write the book. <laughs> you know, like sometimes, like I can imagine with a book, I don't know, but from what I have heard from other people, it is an incredible amount of work to write and edit and, you know, have your work published and like all of that. And it's a team and it's like a years long thing. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't satisfied in the process of doing that, and you're just doing it for a particular outcome. Like I, I, I've even heard that like, you know, writing a book can be like an incredible business card. It can help you have a lot of conversations like this one, for example, or can help expose a lot of people to your work. I mean, you would know better than, than I do because you've just gone through the process, but it's, um, it's not always like, for example, uh, you know, your next $3 million idea to write a book. It's just, it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily that. So if you thought about, oh my goodness, the amount of work that is going to go into this and the time that I'm going to spend on it. Um, if I, if you're only doing that for a particular outcome, I can imagine that that process may have been intimidating, you know, or may have been, um, overwhelming yes to take something on like that and and what does that do that takes our out of us out of our creative zone yeah yeah so then i in it because we become too in our head too mental about it and um that's why also you know the practices of yoga meditation breath work movement nature immersion bring us back home and keep us steady in so that we can then go and and be creative and then release our own ego mm-hmm. and just go doesn't matter it doesn't matter if one person you know what if it, yeah i went through that process a little bit and i had to you know just really come to the fact of like it doesn't matter who um reads the book like kind of like what you were saying about the podcast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so, you know, of course I want and people to share it. And then I, I balance that with, this is for the collective. This book is for the collective. And so it, it allowed my, that was a process. And you know, the process is like shadow light, shadow light, shadow light. It's all good, right? We need to move mm-hmm. through that in order to get to the creative zone. I feel, I believe. Uh, so I welcome that when it comes. And then I recognize it also, oh, get tripped up. There I am. There's my egoic self running the show. And what if I can maneuver back home in this moment and just let it go? Mm. So in writing the book, I have heard, I've, I've read a lot of books about people writing books. <laughs> it's a topic that I'm interested in. And I like um, learning about how different writers approach the craft because they, everybody has their own quirks and their own little things that they do. Um, like it's a, it's a real process, you know, people who write have, have a process around how they do it. I guess probably like people who practice yoga, there's a, you know, a way that they do it. 
And since your book is on ritual, I wondered, like, do you have any ritual around writing? You shared a little bit about it in your morning routine, but like, you know, did you do the thing where you just sat down for a certain amount of hours or you wrote a certain amount of words or like, what did the the process look like to actually write this book and how did ritual um, factor into that? Mm -hmm. Definitely the morning practice for me is key. And I write sitting in um, a meditation seat on the floor. I have low table. Interesting. I have low table. So it was very, like, it felt very kindred from all the years of mm, yeah. um, the work of sitting cross-legged. Yeah, um, that's so cool. And yeah, and I still do. Um, so that, and then for me, I get, um, sometimes I go off screen and I go into big paper and I go into more of like, you know, I used to be a choreographer and I worked as a dancer for many, many years. And so that I would map out, um, sometimes I would map out a dance sequence or an idea for a new piece of dance art um, on paper. And I found myself doing that um, very ritualistically, lighting a candle, getting, um, putting myself in one room, having, you know, my hydration and my snacks in that room and then shutting the doors and not leaving that room um, and allowing things to just free flow, very free flow on paper, words, ideas, sentiments, um, themes. And that, um, and, and then, you know, this, the ritual book is very mind body because it goes through the elements and the energy centers of the chakras in the body. The, and so it, there was, there was this familiarity of all the years of work with the somatic based, you know, work and then putting it into the written word felt like a ritual in itself and it felt actually this is very interesting and i've shared this with a few people very much like being in the studio creating a new dance piece Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. it sounds like you had fun with it like that's way more fun than most people who talk about writing a book make it sound well and i have i have a great writing coach so writing can be very lonely um because you really are it's just you and your computer or your journal or whatever, however you choose to do it. Um, so having someone where I would share my ideas and having her very amazing, analytical, critical, very supportive mind um, and very keen eye, um, have, that was like a team for sure. And I'd meet with her once a week and it was like a ritual in itself. And I so look forward to it. And, um, I've worked with her for two years now, in fact, um, and the same with my publishing team, um, very much a collaboration with, with all of them. And so that, I love that. I love working in a team and I love creating, yeah, it's like creating art, you know? And I think that, you know, if we can hold the words, like polish them until they become, you know, something that then we want to share with the world, I feel that that is a, that's just such a beautiful process. And so I'll share one other thing is that I, another way to do it is to give yourself 30 days. Well, first of all, if you're going to write a book, you, you got to touch it every day. There's not <laughs> one day, not one day. Right. That, can go by, but by touching it, it could mean that you open that folder on the, on the computer and you, you know, read over what you've written and you write two sentences, but you must, yeah, that's what I learned. Um, also with 
being busy, being a busy mama, um, and having other work going on too is, um, that I had to touch it every day. And that's another way to do this is to give yourself 30 days to, I wrote a poem a day for 30 days. And by poem, I mean, I mean, I have write these little prayer poems, like these little verses that you would read like before a yoga class. Are they in the book? Like some of them are in the book? Yeah, cool. <laughs> but this, I wrote another book, in fact, if you oh, can cool. believe it. It's coming out July 2023. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah, so I've had two years of writing, one year each for each book. And um, so that was another process that I thought I thought people might want to hear is like produce one small thing per day for a month. Mm. Um, and then at the end, get it printed. And like I, I would cut these little poems and I put them all over my, 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 my creative space. And then I just started and I categorized them by theme. And then I started to see these connections and these, the weave in between, you know, the work and like what I felt, you know, could support people in their own process and their own healing journey. Cause really that's why I'm also doing this work is to, you know, to support the collective. So that, that was really, I really like doing that. Mm. So I really enjoy the fact that you are so dedicated to what it sounds like to me is like imbuing your work with your own sense of sacredness and creativity. And it sounds very, very pure, which is kind of awesome. But, and I think that a lot of yoga teachers I know are good at that. And that is amazing. But they get stuck when it comes to the other stuff, <laughs> like getting it published. Mm-hmm. Or um, getting it organized and completed and edit- edited. And so you've worked with a team, which is amazing to help support you. I'm a massive fan of that because I think we all have stuff that we're really, really good at. And then other stuff, um, other people are better at. <laughs> and it's nice if you can tap into other people's uh, genius as well. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you keep that or did you keep that sense of sacredness when it came to like finding a publisher, which is... I'm sure more about writing emails and, you know, pitching to people and stuff. Like how did that process of actually getting this work from this beautiful art into something that can be distributed to people in Australia or around the world and that other people can enjoy like a finished product and getting it put out there into the world? What was that process like? And were you able to keep that sense of connection and meaning through the more, I guess, like air quotes, mundane aspects of it? Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is the thing. What (laughs) happened for me in this process, and I will share this, is it was more uncomfortable to know that this book was ready to come into the world. Um, It was more uncomfortable for me to... um, not do it, then do it. So it, it was just a, it was a strong yeah, feeling cool. inside of me that was so restless That's that so cool. it, it, it wasn't a choice anymore. So cool. Um, this doesn't always happen, right? You know, we come to these turning points in our life and we, you know, um, you know, as we age, it's, it's aging is beautiful. We come to different, you know, ideas and formulations and sense of, you know, what, what can I share with the world? And, that was so strong with this one that um that motivated me to keep the pitching going <laughs> and then um on the you know the ninth 
you know, decline, I said, <laughs> I'm going to self-publish. Cool. And no joke, five days later, I get a phone call from my publisher now who <laughs> had lost my manuscript oh on my the gosh. first round. Like there was like, uh, we couldn't find it. And now, but we kind of remembered it. Can you resend it? And then, like contract was signed the next day. So that also is a big lesson for me in that like releasing the outcome because it was so strong. I was like, of course, I did want to get it published. I just thought it would be, you know, a little more easeful for my lifestyle and, you know, where I'm at with my kiddos and, you know, having be supported by a publisher. Um, but I was ready to self-publish. And once I agreed to that, like the universe just basically took care of it. So do you think, <laughs> do you think that happened because you had let go of like the resistance around getting it published? Like there was like, I'm pitching it. I hope it, I hope someone publishes it, but I haven't gotten anything yet. Nine people have said no or just didn't respond to whatever the, the situation was. And then that moment you made the decision to self-publish, you just let go energetically of whatever shit you had around that? Like, do you think that's what happened? Or what? what's your take on how that happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my take is is that. And it's also that I... I'm oh, sorry, that there's a crystal that just dropped on the ground. <laughs> another, another sign, you know. Um, uh, so, but what I feel is that I I committed. Oh, I cool. committed cool. to... It's going to happen so regardless, I, yeah. Exactly. So I mm. let go yeah. um, of what I thought you know, would be the plan because I was close with a couple of publishers. Like we went back and forth a couple, like it was not just, you know, we went back and it's, it's a whole process, a whole journey. And, uh, and, um, because also I've been in the dance world and that's very similar to, you know, my path as a, you know, in the past of like getting accepted, getting declined, getting, you know, where are you going to take the work now? Where, what, where can you do it? You know, where is the true work? And, and so, yeah, it was really, it, it was, I felt like a, this beautiful sign and affirmation that, I was committed and it didn't matter how it was going to get out in the world. And then this publisher decided to say yes. So <laughs> mm-hmm. cool. That's so cool. I think it's um it's a good lesson for people to to hear as well, because you know, often putting your work out there into the world, um, it doesn't always happen immediately. You know, it's not always you know, fanfare and people blowing trumpets, the first person that you talk no. to, it, yes. it's a process of, um, I really love what you said, like, it was just going to happen. And it wasn't an option for you. It was just, you know, it was just going to happen. You just had to write the book, it was more uncomfortable to not do it than to do it. And regardless of what anyone else said, like, did they, did they choose you? Did they say yes or no (laughs) to you? Um, the book was going to go out there because it was something that you were committed to. I think that's incredible, um, life and business advice. And I guess once you've gone through that, once you've had the actual experience of that, um, you know how powerful it can be. I think that's, that's really, Mm -hmm. um, such a great thing to share. Thank you so much for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. So another thing that you mentioned in your book, and I, I don't, I did the find feature on this as well. And I can't, I can't remember. I love doing that. It's like, how many times does this pop up? Um, oh I don't know. I don't think it was as many as letting go of the outcome, but there were a couple of times 
there, what you mentioned divine timing. Mm-hmm. And in this conversation that we're having now, even about getting the book published or, you know, potentially even the inspiration to write the book, because I'm sure you have been exploring ritual long before mm-hmm. you wrote the book, right? So it's been a part of your life for a long time, but there was just this moment, this flash where now is the time mm-hmm. to write the book. And perhaps even with, you know, getting it published, like maybe if, you know, for whatever reason, one of those other publishers, you'd gone ahead with them, it just might not have been the right time. Like maybe something would have come up or, you know, maybe the world wasn't as ready for it. Um, So I would love if you could share a little bit about what you, what you mean by divine timing. And then if you have any, anything you would like to share about, um, I guess in my words, like trusting the timing of things, <laughs> because I, I, it's another thing I'm unlearning is I have a tendency to force things and just make shit happen when I want it to happen. And that has been a good thing and also not a good thing. Um, so yeah, what is divine timing and how do you, how do you work with it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So divine timing, I mean, we can look at this many ways. Um, divine timing is when you, like we were talking, we've been talking about your, you know, you're connected to your own energy. You're connected to, um, you're aware of when, you know, you're striving and you're pushing or you're forcing, um, and you've done the work to kind of go, okay, I'm committed to my meditation practice daily or my nature practice daily, which helps my body understand and feel what divine timing is. So divine timing is when, um, you know, you're, you're moving throughout your day. And there's that inner call to pause or to reroute or to, um, um, shift the schedule a little bit. Um, and then all of a sudden you're met by, you know, um, a dear friend that you haven't seen in a long time, for example, or, you know, you're, um, you're in nature and, you know, the, you know, the eagle, comes right, you know, right there, the owl calls in, in the night, you know, I had that experience recently in, in this little cabin in Whistler and the, the call of the owl. And I just happened to be there basically under the tree. And I just, you know, you could feel your whole body connect to that. I received, um, an insight, a, a message and an intuitive, um, reckoning reckoning in that moment so it's it's about how we go through our day and how we are grounded in our own being enough to listen and pause and really um also empower ourselves that sometimes we do need to shift (laughs) the trajectory of our day so that we may be met by something so delightful that we had no idea that we were going to be delighted by that friend or that moment or that stranger on the street, that elder at the grocery store that I helped that like I met eyes with that elder and I you know, received this whole download from my own grandmother because I recognized her in those eyes. And it's like being open enough and not being just on a forced agenda constantly. So that's what I would say. And then about trusting it. um, And I'm really glad that you brought this up because I feel that the work um, for us as, as, you know, humans in this complex world is to get an understanding of what is my intuition and what is my anxiety? 
and to start to be really curious about those two. And because anxiety is like being in a way predictive, like, oh, I've got to do that because that's, you know, because I've got to push myself to do that. And because that's, you know, that's who I am. And I'm a multitasker and I'm going to push my way through that. Because if I don't, I might feel uncomfortable because I'm not productive. So that's kind of that predictive outcome, which is often fear-based or anxiety-based. And then we can get into a space of being generative. And so to ask yourself in the moment, you know, what am I being generative of in this moment? You know, so, and that connects me to a spaciousness, to a state of positivity, right? What am I generating? I am generating nourishment. I am generating presence. I am generating love. And that has a softness to it that is more likely to connect us to our inner intuitive nature or those aha moments than scurrying about being the multitasker queen of due diligence, uh, you know, all that stuff. So I really think that this, especially as women, as you know, our tendency to be the caretakers of it all, our tendency to, you know, be um, in that multitasking way. And the divine feminine is ready to come forward. So we have to work hard now as women in, in hard by, I mean, what can I let go of? What's not serving me? That's old energy that I inherited from my parents, goddess bless them, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry that one forward anymore. That's a story. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's so, it feels like one of the most satisfying and rewarding things that I've ever experienced when you have some intuition to do something and then there's an immediate, um, or not so immediate, but quickly following, um, understanding of why, like, you know, you mentioned with the owl or, um, you know, even incredibly mundane things in my life. I've just been going about doing things and, and I've had an impulse to do something or an insight to do something or just like, you know, it's, it was so silly, but we, we had a bunch of firewood delivered. It's, it's spring here in Australia, but um, it was winter <laughs> like two days ago and we moved, my partner and I had just moved to the country. We have just moved to the country and we have a beautiful like f- fireplace and the lounge in our house, but it's really cold where we moved. And so we got this firewood delivered, but it was just sitting out in the open. And I was like, I just feel that I need to put the gazebo up over the firewood. And it was like, I was just doing something completely different. It was a beautiful day. And I put the gazebo up over the firewood and then went about my day. And later that afternoon, it started pouring rain. (laughs) And I was like, this is why I put that up. And it was like, you know, I wasn't checking the weather forecast. I wasn't, you know, trying to, um, there was no anxiety around it, right? And I wasn't, it wasn't from a logical, oh, the forecast says it's going to rain. I should do this. And I have found, and I don't know if if you have found this either, but um, I found that the more I can listen to my intuition, and the more I can hear it and then act on it and trust it, the less anxiety I have because it's like a part of me knows what's going on. And if I just pay attention to that, I don't have to do as much of the micromanaging and the um, you know, anxiety 
planning around like, oh my gosh, I should pay attention to the weather and I should do this and I should do that. It's almost like the things that I need to know will come to me when I need to know them. Yes. Um, it's really fun. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, um, I love the firewood story. That's great. Um, and yes, I agree. And also the body gets confused. The body gets confused and the mind gets tired when we don't listen or when there's, um, uh, you know, when there's a bit of jagged edges or there's, um, you know, we, we say one thing, but we're doing another thing. So even, you know, those like the way we exaggerate on a daily basis or the little white lies we tell or the way that we're trying to prove to someone else how, how hard we're working or, you know, all that stuff tends to confuse the mind-body connection so that, and I, I bring this forward, I think, because when I heard this, it made a lot of sense to me. And then I, it made me want to practice it even more is to like clean up how I speak <laughs> and to clean up the exaggerations or the untruths that I tell myself or others. Um, and, you know, also very rooted in yoga philosophy, uh, you know, all of these, all of these ways, all of these rituals that keep us um, steady mm. on a daily basis. Mm. And is that because you're sort of clearing out the confusion or static or I don't know exactly the right word I'm thinking of, but like you're, you're making it so that the connection you have with your intuition is more clear or it's more direct or it's um, not encumbered or clouded by that other stuff because it, it, it kind of like dulls the connection. Is that, is that kind of what is happening? Is that what you're meaning? That's what I believe. Yes, cool. that's what I believe cool. to be true. And so it takes that doubt because doubt brings us, is quite exhausting when we're doubting all the time, isn't it? And um, add a little fear in there, add a little anxiety, <laughs> stress. Oh boy, right? It's uh, And it's a big world we're living in and we, it's time, you know, and I talk about also the modern mystic in, in the Rituals Remedy book. And, and by that, I mean, anyone, the modern mystic, anyone who's ready and willing to take the work on to be conscious and to um, to put goodness out in the world, to be a compassionate human being and to pay it forward and to allow, you know, um, the next generation coming to to feel that mm. so that we're not just doing it for us, but we're really having more of a collective awareness that we're doing the work because it matters. Mm. Mm. Sounds like you have a beautiful crow in the background. Yeah, yeah, the crow agrees. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's for everyone. Yeah. Um, Mara, I can't even believe I didn't um, ask you this, but I'm sure by this point, people are very interested in the book. Can you just tell us a little bit about it? Like we've mentioned the, the title of the book, but, um, and you've mentioned like a tiny little bit about the structure, including the elements and the chakras. Um, but it, you know, if I just met you on the street and we were high school friends and I hadn't seen you in 20 years and I said, Oh my God, Mara, you wrote a book. Mm -hmm. What's it about? Could you, could you just tell us what a little synopsis of the book? Sure. Uh, so the book is really, you know, designed for people to then self guide, um, on a daily basis, soul care, small rituals, large rituals. And it is based on the Celtic or the pagan wheel of the year. So my ancestors are, I'm from, um, 
Scotland, England, and Ireland. And I have studied the, um, the Celtic Wheel of the Year for a very, very long time. And so it's, comp- it's, it's very much a part of me. And, um, it's, the book is designed around, you know, the elements according to the wheel of the year, the, the seasons, you know, so you're coming into, you're going to be coming into your winter solstice. And then, you know, we have our fall equinox, we have our summer solstice, we, and we have our, um, spring equinox. So working through that, but I bring that forward because it, it allows you to see and the, and the listeners to see that the book is very much nature-based spirituality. And in each chapter, it works with particular emotions that we have. For example, fear, shame, guilt, grief, um, on and on and on. And it brings both the shadow and the light aspect so that we can really bring forward personal healing and transformation through this lens. So the first part of each chapter is the prose. And the second part of each chapter is like a recipe book where there's all sorts of rituals that you could just pick up cool. and, and, and really follow them step by step and then make them your own, you know, or it's just, it's also ideas for you then to guide yourself or a group. So it's a great resource for teachers and healers. Um, and then there's a whole chapter dedicated to the moon and the moon cycle. So if you're interested in starting, um, to, observe and honor the new moon and the full moon, which is what I do very, um, very connected and very devoted to these two, um, times every month that, um, you know, I unpack a lot of, um, symbolism and, um, rituals to work with the moon, um, as well. So there you go. Mm, beautiful. And, um, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but as you said, like, it's a, it's a great resource for teachers for their classes or their retreats or their workshops. If they're thinking about something that they share with the students or, you know, something <laughs> that like me, you do privately beforehand. And then the, the energy ripples out to that, but, um, could be an incredible resource for teachers looking for inspiration on, or even like a jumping off point on, on things that they want to create. And yeah. And there's not, there's not really a lot out there like that. Is there like there, there, I don't know of any other book that would have something like that in it. That's pretty unique. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, that's great to hear. And it just really, you know, I, I did, it's all the years of teaching. I mean, and all the years of doing this work. I mean, I've been really at it for 25 plus years and it, it felt like it was, um, yeah, an, uh, an embodied way to, to share with the world. Um, and anyone could, I always love to say this, you can open the book at any place. You don't have to start from beginning to end. So I want to make sure, Corey, you get a physical copy too, mm, because I mm, think that mm. would be really beautiful, <laughs> yeah, for you be beautiful. to have a phys- <laughs> physical copy. And, um, and then, and then you can take it out into the woods cool. and you can, yeah. you know, have it there. And it's, it's in, in Australia now, which is so great. Oh, it had awesome. a, a little bit of a, a harder time getting, <laughs> getting to Australia. I don't know why. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty excited that it's, it's, it's now, um, do you know where you can get it? Like, can we buy it in person in Australia? Yeah. Well, you know, it's Amazon. It's Amazon. definitely sold on Amazon. <laughs> but what, cool. And so what I encourage everyone to do is go to their local 
bookstore and ask them to carry the book because I have a distributor that Simon Schuster, it's, it's everywhere. So yeah, UK, Australia, New Zealand, it's everywhere on your end of the world. And cool. I am, I'm pretty excited because I know that Australia has an awesome yoga community and very vibrant, um, healing community. And so totally. I hope to get there someday and. That would be really special. Well, let me know if you do. Okay. <laughs> we can we can um, you know gather a bunch of people and and do a workshop yeah. or something. And book reading could Sounds be amazing. So good, Mara. The, because you have been doing this for so long, I think that I I'm really excited to ask you this question. I ask it to almost everyone, but I'm so excited knowing a little bit of your history and the work that you've done. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who is a yoga teacher who is just starting out on doing their own thing. Like maybe they've been teaching classes or they've been working for a studio, but they're creating something on their own. Like it's amazing that you've created this book. Maybe someone listening is doing the same thing or they're thinking about running their own retreat for the very first time or their own workshop or they're going to do something online for the first time. And they're really going out into this entrepreneurship um, journey for the first time on their own. Maybe they have a team, but you know, they're breaking away. What would be the piece of advice that you would give to that person in that stage of life? Mm -hmm. I would say distill in a way your own essence, what lights you up, what you know is true for you and let that inform what you want to share with the world. That is your niche right there. Mm -hmm. And to really cultivate that and really, really trust that. So you don't want to follow what other people are doing. I mean, it's so tempting to do that, mm -hmm. <laughs> but to trust that, that your signature essence, I talk about that a lot in the book, how to discover your signature essence. It comes from being steady in your own practice. It, it comes from going inside instead of going outside, like going within your own being. And, and I, that has, that can develop, um, you know, your most outlandish ideas can come into, you know, full expression through that simple practice. Mm. That's incredible. So many people struggle with their niche and I feel like you just gave us a pathway to that. <laughs> Like, and it's not the, it's not the path, it's not the pathway that, um, is usually put out there, you know, for finding that it's like, it's actually within you and what lights you up. Mm -hmm. That is, that is the path. And so it, that's such good advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Imagine if we all heard that at the beginning, <laughs> that would be yeah, so nice. Right? It would right? be so nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Mara, could you, there's one last question I would love to ask you. Could you finish this sentence? If you really knew me, you would know. That I sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. Oh my goodness. When? <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? Um, 25, 24 years ago. So um, yeah, I was a crew. Um, I was a deckhand on wow. a 105 foot sloop. Wow. And... Yeah, sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. Is sailing a passion of yours? Sailing was, I grew up sailing small boats, lasers. I, I raced, um, just so happens that my family, you know, was um, every summer at a place where, where I got to learn that 
it's amazing. And so, no, I wasn't, it wasn't part of the plan. I met, <laughs> this is, this is a funny story. I met a captain and a chef of, of that boat on a 14 day river trip down wow. um, what's called the Tachinchini river up in the Yukon and the, uh, and Alaska. And um, wow. she was a yogi hmm. and I was working on that trip. Um, kind of supporting the team and we brought these guests. It's a very fancy trip. And, um, we would practice yoga together. And at the, by the end of that river trip, they said, Hey, we're looking for crew. Would you be interested in coming? And wow. so I came home a year later. Like I was gone and I worked on boats and I lived in Greece and Turkey and, um, mm-hmm. wow. So, what an experience. Practicing my yoga all the while. <laughs> on the deck experience. of the boat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. I can imagine yeah. like swells and rain. And you're like, I'm doing yoga. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Cool. Mara, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing um, a little bit of the wisdom that you share much more deeply in the book. If people are looking to find out more about you and or pick up a copy of the book? What are the best ways for them to do those things? Uh, my book website, ritualasremedy.com. Cool. You will find everything about the book um, and where to buy it and my upcoming book club, which is oh, yeah. it's really exciting. It's an online platform, so cool. anyone can join. It's all recorded, so time zones are okay. And um, and that links to my other site, which is marabranscom.com, which, you know, is all, um, they're both connected. So cool. I'd say ritualsremedy.com. Go there. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you teach public classes at all at the moment? At the moment, I do not. And I, I may be. Um, mm. And uh, we're just sorting out some scheduling cool. for the fall. Yeah. Will that be online or in person? Um, well, I teach classes online on my own channel. So I do mm. every new moon and full moon. I hold um, a session, yes, twice, cool. a, twice a month. I call them awesome. the full moon spirit sessions. And it's always like more new moon spirit sessions. So people can find that there. And I love that. I love this community that has been built over years um, online together. And uh, yeah, so you have to join in. I'll send you a recording. Of yeah, one send of me a recording. Like, and I will. also, you, this used to be an online course, didn't it? The book, like I'm just cluing into a few things that I've heard. So it was an online course before online courses were like a thing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And you know why I, I came up with that idea? Because I didn't want to travel so much or be away from my kiddos when they right. were so young. And it didn't work like to find childcare at night. It was impossible. So I thought, oh, I'll just do it from home. And it was quite a gift because um, by the time the pandemic hit, I was you know, on an online platform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good also following what's right for you. Sometimes works out in the end, doesn't it? <laughs> You're like, oh, that was actually a really good move that paid off in the moment yeah. and later. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mara. This was great. Um, I can't wait to hold your book in my hands, although I do love that I can search through it <laughs> in the ebook version and find exactly what yes. I'm looking for. Send me, send me your address and I will get you a book, okay? Cool. I will, I will. I've moved to a small country town that... Um, we don't even have addresses. It has to get sent to the post office. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, enjoy, it's great. enjoy your time in the, it's one of my favorite places to live like that. Mm. 
Mm, yeah, it's great. Thank you so much, Mara. Um, I really appreciate you putting your book out in the world and also um, the time you took to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Cora. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Business of Teaching Yoga podcast. If you want to keep hanging out, find me on Instagram. It's just me, my name, Cora Giroux. Or if you want to stay connected off social media, get your butt on my newsletter at coragiroux.com. See you next time.